Welcome back to Our Trumpet Life, a podcast focused on teaching, learning, and sharing all things trumpet in a positive atmosphere. We were so thankful to have Judith Saxon on our episode last week. A big thank you to her for joining us. It was such a humbling experience just being able to listen to all of her her knowledge around the subject of trumpet and life in general. So today is our part two episode on gear. You can listen to part one. It's the episode Trumpets, Trumpets, Trumpets. But today we're going to talk more about gear philosophy. So I hope you enjoy. So now that we've gone around that around the gear thing, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people what gear we play on, and that's zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is a question I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you guys get asked stuff like that a lot too. And that kind of brings us into a more meta discussion about gear and our overall feelings towards gear. So, I don't know how we want to jump into this, but maybe let's start by estimating your guys' interest level in the topic of gear. Because in the trumpet world, this is a major thing. Either people love gear or they hate it. So, where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Out of one of ten? One to ten? Kind yeah, of... let's say one to ten. One, you, you don't care. You don't even know what gear you play. Ten... You're trying different mouthpieces on the gig, every gig. <laughs> oh, wow. So just to clarify, are we only talking about gear as in trumpets and mouthpieces, or are we extending that into mutes? And uh, let's Yeah, let's uh, extend it. I mean, you can make rate yourself multiple ways, so we'll, we'll just kind of dig into it. We'll just figure it out, yeah. So uh, gear, mouthpieces, and trumpets. My interest level and commitment to that when buying an instrument is a 10 but when on a gig i buy an instrument and i'm done i was like uh if it works it works and put time into it so i would say overall gear interest level with that would be like four a three or four um i'm not the type of guy unless it's a competing piccolo trumpet or Bobby Shoehorn or L.A. wearing Bergeron trumpet and they have similar horns. It's a long joke. Uh, but unless those folks are on the gig, I really don't talk about my horns. Though I will make a note, it's important to know gear and know what's out there and know what people play on because they have different sounds. So uh, in that regard, I though my interest level isn't up there, it's, it's I educate myself with kind of Oh, that's that sound. Cool. That's that sound. Cool. As far as mutes go, though, interest level is a 10. I have so many mutes, both jazz and classical, more classical than jazz, I'd say, uh, especially in the straight mute realm. Oh, I have easily over 20 mutes, if not more. So you're an accessories guy. <laughs> yeah, accessories. I don't have fancy mute bags, if that's what you're asking. Uh, no, just mutes in general because they're cool. They're uh, they're unique and they can train change your two thousand dollar, three thousand dollar trumpet uh, sound real quick, and you can get so many different noises off of that thing. Whether 
yes, it's either a classical jazz setting. So uh, besides mutes are not as expensive. So they can, you can find them anywhere, you know, and it's kind of fun that way. It's like, Hey, check this straight mute out. It's looks terrible, but boy, does it sound good. You know, Bill fun once told me that if you ever see uh, or hear a mute that you really like, just buy it because it's not going to be that expensive and they might quit making them. And you see that a lot with mutes like the Ray Robinson or I mean, name a mute. There's, there's so many that just aren't made anymore that we're all trying to find. And so if you ever, if you ever hear one, if I ever hear one that I like, I just buy it. And I, I try not to feel too bad about that for that exact reason, because even if you hear it and you say, hey, that might sound really great on this piece for this 20 bars that I have to have this mute in. Well, that could completely change that piece for you. And it could make it, it could change it for someone else if they hear it too. So um, I'm with you on that, on the mutes. I don't have a ton, but if I see one I like, I just get it. Yeah. And it's, you get some really cool sounds out there and mutes by mutes, everybody by mutes. So I had a question. You said that when you're buying a horn, your interest level is a 10, which I, yeah, I totally get that. I mean, you want to do the research so you can make a good purchase, something that you won't regret. But at what point do you start considering buying a new horn? At what point, Ben, I think said this earlier, is at what point do you decide it's not me, it's the horn and decide to start investing in Oh, sure. Getting a new instrument. So, and this is for myself. This is talking through my own experience. Uh, wine is out of necessity. So that's the number one thing. But in order to have a necessity, you need to know what you're going for. So I'll use uh, my Yamaha purchase, my B-flat Yamaha purchase as an example. I get to UNC. I'm playing on this Vox Strad on... Uh, orchestral uh, equipment and and then I'm showing up playing lead every other day and I am gassing out I am getting tired and I'm thinking like man I gotta I gotta do more lip slurs or I gotta do more lead stuff I gotta figure something out I gotta play more efficiently whatever but then I get to a point where the I feel strong enough and then the sound that I was getting was too strong or it was not the right sound. Uh, it was hard for me to get the sound that was in the recordings that I was being informed with and the teachers that I was working for working with, they were saying like, no, that's not quite what it is yet. And so, uh, I informed myself that was, that was the necessity part. I was thinking like, well, they're playing on that horn. If I want to sound like that, I should probably play on something similar. And then so I tried stuff out and it was a quick instant. You know, I had worked myself up to the point where it was just a quick instant fix or adjustment to allow me to play the music um, more easily. And just so I can focus not so much on me, on the fundamentals, but more on the music. That's kind of where I came with that. That's that that would be my explanation on when to know to change to change or to buy an instrument, should I say? I'm still struggling with figuring that out because 
I tend to think everything that's bad is me. And I just work on it and work on it. Um, I mean, I've never... The only reason I have the B-flat I have now is because I saw it. A teacher of mine told me it was a, a pretty good playing horn. It was $500. So I bought it. It wasn't because I knew anything about it or had played one. Since then, I've never changed horns. I've only had one C. I've only owned one flugelhorn. Same with D, uh, E flat D and pick. So I've only changed mouthpieces two times. So I kind of tend to think it's all me. Although, like we talked about earlier, Ben and I, we, we realize our C trumpets, there's some issues with it. Now, if I had money, I think I probably would change at this point. Um, but I am, I do commit myself to continuing to get better at the issues I perceive with the horn. And I'm still working to, I mean, if I could perfect that horn, I probably wouldn't switch. I don't think that's going to happen because I've been trying for a long time. But until I have the money, I'm going to make do everything in my power, including building exercises in my routine to make this horn work as best as I possibly can. So I try to, I tend to not switch gears. I tend to not even think about switching gear. Yeah, I I kind of agree with Derek, as you might imagine I would have. I do think that there is going to come a time where you can make that choice based on, you know, what what's easier, I guess, is what it comes down to for me. And that's why I want to get my C replaced. I'm not saying like all of the issues that you experience are related to you as a person or as a player, but I, I'd, <laughs> I'd say that like 90% of your issues are probably issues as, as a player. And then that last 10% can be issues with the horn itself that simply is just going to make it easier on you if you had a better horn. And that, you know, obviously I'm just throwing numbers out there. That's probably inaccurate, but that's kind of more or less how I approach it in that if there's an issue, first, I'm going to try to see if there's something I can do to fix it. And if it's something that is going to be constantly like an issue or make my life difficult and I'd like to make an upgrade. And if I have the finances like Derek was mentioning, then that's when I would decide to get a new horn. And I can't stress this enough. Maybe it's more important for your younger players, but really, I think for anyone, you really should have someone there to hear you play. Someone that is an, is also a professional on the horn because they're, they're just going to hear stuff on the other side of the bell that you won't when you're playing it. And it can really go a long ways to helping you make an informed decision. Yeah. Off of that, I, th- I think we should maybe mention that We've all have friends and colleagues that we know that just bought a three thousand, four thousand dollar trumpet off the internet before ever playing it. And for me, that's just so risky. I mean, certain brands like Yamaha and Shilky, they're pretty consistent. Box not as consistent, but uh, still, even with Yamaha, there's going to be inconsistencies from horn to horn and man it's like going and buying buying a a car uh you know from the dealership you don't just like go to the car dealership and point at a car and like i'm gonna buy that car you test drive it right you you need you need well you don't need but i think it is 
very smart to try out a horn before buying it. Absolutely. Definitely. I think a lot of people probably do try out horns at, I mean, I know, I don't know why I'm saying, I think, you know, people try out their horns when they're at these big conferences and stuff like ITG and NTC. And just as an important note, if you're not ready to make the purchase, but you found something you really like, write down the serial number. Like literally, write down the serial number, and then if you do want to make that purchase later on, that's what you inquire about, if it's still there. And if it's not, you really should try it out before you you finally make the purchase. You could always head to the factory, too. I know that's a thing that people love to do. If you are a Bach guy or a Shilke guy or a Yamaha guy, email them. Contact them, and if you're a nearby dealer... Go, go visit them and check out everything, those things, you know? I know my professor back in the day did that at a Bach factory, and and that's how he got his horn. Be patient whenever you're buying a horn. Don't jump on the pretty one. Uh, I've done that before, and uh, I regret it. <laughs> and so, yeah, you don't, you don't, if it has all the bells and whistles, that's great, but they better be working. You know, you, you want the meat and potatoes of the instrument. Yeah, working at a music store, we get in some interesting horns. We got in a trumpet that was made to look like a Monette, and it they did a pretty good job. I mean, it looked like a Monette or like one of those Harrelson horns that you know, looks like an Art Deco design or kind of modern art type thing. Uh, the third slide doesn't even come off because it's just one solid slide. There's no inner slide, and it just plays horribly. Air leaks all over the place, but it looks amazing. We, we we have people coming in all the time that will pass up a great horn because, well, the, there's spots where the lacquer's worn off. Like, oh, well, that must not be a good horn because the lacquer's worn off. Actually, it's like the best horn we have in the shop. It plays amazing. Don't let don't let the visual unless like someone came in with a hammer and just like beat the crap out of the horn. Don't let the visual deter you from trying a horn, or don't let the visual encourage you to buy a horn. Right, play it. So we've kind of gone in circles with our conversations, but I think to continue our circle in in uh, order, David, I think you're up on interest levels of buying equipment and and whatnot. Well. I am a bit of a, a, a gearhead. I mean, I think it has to do with growing up in the family I grew up with. Uh, not, my dad wasn't just a trumpet player, but his cousin, my, my second cousin, is also a trumpet player. And it was just fun hanging out and trying out different horns, playing different equipment. And I've inherited several horns. Um, I, I have a lot of B-flats. <laughs> uh and and I and, but I actually play most of them. Um, I've got horns that maybe I use on just like rare occasions, but for small group stuff, especially like some of the the jazz gigs I've done, where I'm my bell is literally in the face of someone at a uh, sitting sitting in front of me at a table. I I don't take my bobby shoe to that. It's just too in your face. But I have a Martin Committee like classic Martin Committee from the 1950s. It's the same model horn that like, well, Blue Mitchell, Miles Davis, Chet Baker, all those guys played that same model horn. And and I like that stuff. I think it's, I think it's cool and it's easy to get that sound the way it was made. It's easier to get that sound from, you know, what you are hearing on the records. 
so yes, to answer your question, yes, I've always had fun with the gear at a place where I'm very happy with the horns I have, and I have no desire to replace the horns I have. But, you know, if if tomorrow my dad's like, hey, I got this Martin Committee, or extra Martin Committee, and I have two of them, you want it? I'm like, yeah, I want it. Heck yeah, that's cool. I, I'm not as into mouthpieces. For me, it's been finding the mouthpiece that really fits me and i think i've found that with the storks i play on and i feel very comfortable uh for lead i actually play on a marcinkowitz marcinkowitz rick baptist model and that's just because i'm not really a lead player but some of the stuff where i'm asked to play lead type things and i'm also asked to play solo so it's a mouthpiece i've found where i can feel comfortable doing both but i'm pretty set on that so i am relatively averse to gear i think it's important to know and understand gear in case you have to make a change it's good to have a background on what all the different parts are how one thing is going to change something it's good to know and understand that if i go to one of those conferences like an ntc or i i've never been to an itg but where they are all Everyone's just trying horns out, and you can go try out horns, mouthpieces, and stuff. I don't even do that. I think the more options I have, the more upset I get, and I just don't want to do it. I don't like trying out horns. Uh, like I said earlier, I worked in the same shop uh, that David works in now. Uh, shout out to the Trumpet Trader, Greeley, Colorado. Check it out online, trumpettrader.com. Great shop, tons of amazing horns. And I were, I don't even remember how long I worked there. Quite a while. Didn't try out horns. The only time I tried out horns was when the owner forced me to. Uh, and I, I just really don't. I don't like it. One, I'm not. I'm happy with the horns I have. Uh, especially the B flat I have. And that's mostly what I was trying out. And, and I tend to get grumpy about it. And then, you know, I play one or two things. Usually high notes. And if it's not easier than the horn I have now... Why would I switch? So, and I'm pretty strict about it. If it's not immediately easier, I'm not interested. Because I could just play with the horn I have now. And that is asking a lot from a horn I'm just picking up. But, you know, it's not just that I'm trying it and then that's all fine and dandy. But then if I find one that's better, then I'm going to want to buy it. <laughs> and that's going to cost a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. So I tend to not even think about gear i just play what i've got and that's it and i don't have backups or spares well i do have that 8310z and i did buy a york super custom not that long ago because i saw it on craigslist and it was for a killing deal uh and that's that is when i'll buy a horn if there's just a ridiculous deal because i can always sell it later if i want uh so i bought that york super custom for 200 dollars, and that's a, a stencil of Clifford Brown's horn, so, which, uh, I can't remember now what that was, what his actual horn was, Blessing Artist, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just so out of the gear thing, and I can talk about it with people, I do understand it, I did work in a shop, you know, I have to have an understanding of it, but I just really dislike it, so, but I do like mutes, <laughs> I do like mutes, and I have a decent amount of mutes, and I get somewhat picky with mutes. And I like for the section to have matching mutes. <laughs> yeah, I think 
you know, I, I fall kind of in the same strain as Derek for the most part. Well, I think most of, most of the problems I have with getting the new gear is more related to, are you getting it for the right reasons? And, you know, so, so as a teacher, like I, I want to be aware of that and kind of advise my students that you can't fix everything by just changing gear. In fact, you're not really going to fix much by just changing gear. So it's more important to fix what, you know, the issues that you have as a player over changing gear. And then yes, once you've kind of gotten a good solid foundation there, you can always go and, you know, pick up the gear that you like for sound. And that to me is what dictates just about everything with trumpet sound. (laughs) And so for me, that's the same thing with gear. And if once you have your fundamentals in place and you can, you can really, you know, discern what a good sound is for you. And then I think that's maybe a time where going into the nitty gritty details of, you know, what, mouthpiece you get and all of that can come into play. Personally, you know, I do get excited trying out new trumpets because I think it's fun. It's like you're going to a car dealership and driving a Ferrari out of the lot for a little bit. And so in that respect, like, I think that's, it's it's exciting, but I also know that I'm not going to buy the Ferrari. Like I don't have the money to buy the Ferrari. So I'm going to drive it for a little bit and then return it. But it is there is a little bit of enjoyment in that aspect. If I had the funding, you know, obviously I would consider. But mouthpieces, I am almost. It's maybe it's kind of the way Derek feels about horns. But like, I don't want to change. I almost never want to change my mouthpieces. I'm very stubborn about that because I have what I like. Like what I have, I really like. It's worked for me for you know, ten plus years. And if I'm going to change something, it's got to be like a noticeable difference right off the bat. Like Derek was saying, it has to be like, oh, wow, this actually is a huge difference in what I sound like already. And I just don't really think there's a mouthpiece out there that's going to really do that for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. But also, I just I would like to add on to that, that I think we have to be careful of saying a mouthpiece that's just so different or so much better because even if that happens, you still then have to be careful and still give it that trial run because you will find things afterwards that you might not like. So, Which actually is what I was talking about earlier in the show was that when I bought, because I did make a mouthpiece change about two years, two or three years ago, I actually spent months trying out that mouthpiece and going back and forth before I finally was like, yeah, this is actually just better. Yeah, you use sound as your, your guide and your goal. That's, you know, when it comes to mouthpieces, you just have to learn it. You have to re your mouth has to relearn the seal and relearn how to play it. It's most efficient form. But if the sound is what you're going after at, and as long as it's not digging into your lip and cutting you up, then, uh, well, that's probably a different problem, but you know, that that's at least my guide as well. That sound. Yeah. I think feel is important as well. I, I guess I don't really think of that as much because I I don't want to just make a blanket statement, but I feel like if you're playing with good fundamentals that you shouldn't really be hurting yourself with the mouthpiece or it shouldn't feel 
like it's painful or anything. No, I, I also I kind of seek more of a balance between ease of playing and sound. I would rather have something that plays very easy and is like a nine on my desired sound than play something that's difficult to play and that's a ten. You know, and it, again, it, it's going to be knowing your demands. What are the demands on you? If you're playing, if you're a principal orchestral player and you're going to be playing crazy stuff all the time and that's difficult for you maybe you don't feel like you have the chops to actually do that full time all the time and be on it i would rather have something that's easy that feels comfortable and is easier for me to play that i might have to take a small um downgrade in sound now i mean you have to be careful obviously sound is obviously important so you can't go too far down that road but I'm kind of looking for a balance and I just try to evaluate this type of playing I'm going to have to be doing. Yeah. I, I had to make a decision based on that same thing. Personally, right now I'm playing basically all Yamaha for my regular setup. Personally, I prefer the sound Bach has. I'll just, just take that Bach sound any day over, over a Yamaha, but those Yamahas, they're very consistent. They're very, they're very fluid when you play it. And the intonation is more predictable. And I made the decision to switch to a Yamaha B flat. I, I, I still have this horn. It's my it's my favorite horn to this day. But I don't play it because I'm I'm gonna have it sent off and have some work done to it. But I have a an old Mount Vernon Bach 37, and I love that horn. It's got an amazing sound. Feels great when I play, but the upper register, the intonation is weird. And I actually took a professional audition and they told me, you sound great. It's very musical, but the intonation in the upper register was noticeable. And we don't want someone in the ensemble that's struggling with intonation. And this was a situation where I played a classical portion and then a jazz portion. And they told me, you probably would have had a better audition had you played your Bobby shoe through the whole audition. And so I was like, well, crap. Okay. That's not something I want to fight. I don't have the time to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to take auditions. I don't have the time to put off another six months just to figure out how to deal with the intonation on this horn. When there's a horn right here that it's not a problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not. And so that's why I made that switch. But I do plan on take, sending that horn off and like, to like a master repairman like Charlie Milk. That, that's another thing, by the way, that's a completely different tangent, but I think it's important to know who the master repairmans are in the, in the area and, and in the country. Um, but just have him get it up to modern specs, like get a real first saddle on it and just have some work done to it. Yeah, I kind of want to bring up something Ben said earlier when we were, he was just gauging his interest in gear. And that was, if you're a teacher or an educator, it's so important to have an understanding of gear because your students will come to you when they need a new horn. And if you have one, whether you're the person finding that horn and you're kind of evaluating what you think that student might need to help get them in the ballpark, that's going to be really important. No, being able to look for used horns that you know a certain horn is great that you can get for a good price. That's really important. Um, and then being able just to make small adjustments if a student really needs help with 
uh, something or they're having serious issues that might be gear related that you suspect might be gear related. It's I think it's so important to have a basic understanding of gear, and at the very least, if you don't have a relation, make sure you have a relationship with local repairmen that will have information that you can trust will give you information that's not just them trying to sell something. Also, take care of the horns, take care of the gear you have, because horns are very expensive. I don't know how many times, well, Derek, yeah, how many times have we gotten, like, like, we've had a grad student come into the shop and say, can you clean my horn out? And, like, okay, when was the last time you cleaned your horn? And it's been, like, two, three years. The crap we get out of that horn is insane. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. I think the people who, that the higher up, the higher, I mean, obviously, very young students are going to have issues keeping horns clean, but also the, the people who've been playing for a long time who are either grad school or professionals, they also seem to struggle to keep their horns clean. And, you know, take it from someone who is playing a horn with a hole in their lead pipe from Red Rot, and the horn had Red Rot when I got it, and I've just been maintaining it for since then, for however long that's been, eight years or six years or something. And... It's not fun when you have to start worrying about your horn just falling apart on you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and you you get you see these horns where there's so much crap that's built up in there, especially in the lead pipe and tuning slide, that it's actually changed the bore size of your horn. And it's and it you, I mean, you're basically playing a completely different horn from the horn that you bought. Uh, and and like Derek was saying, your saliva has acid. And that stuff that stuff that you leave behind in the horn builds up and it, it's like it's like the corrosion on a car battery it builds up inside the horn and it eats through the inside of the horn and you know if you want your horn to last a long time take care of it yeah same with your mouthpiece clean your mouthpiece out that's it's gross is there is there any one uh piece of equipment that you would make a plug for for that there is and I don't have it with me so it's a Rika, and it's a lead pipe swab, and it will just get all that stuff that's built up in your lead pipe out, and tuning slide. Yeah, I use it every after I'm done playing every time, no matter what. I swab with that through the lead pipe and the tuning slide. Yeah, I, I love it. And both of my, my B-flat and my C both have red rot, and they had it when I got them, and they do, and I've only been doing this for the last year or so since I got the hole in my um, my B-flat lead pipe, but they're great. Absolutely great. Yeah, uh, I think it's important for for educators. It, well, it's interesting because I don't remember ever hearing this from any of my teachers, uh, but you got to give your, you got to give your horns bath. You got to clean that stuff out. Uh, maybe I'm a little... Uh, too particular about this but for me i give my horns a bath once a month and then i have them professionally cleaned every six months and they it just keeps that stuff from building up yeah extends the life of your horns too it's usually not something people think about but once you start having a horn for 10 15 20 years if you don't take care of it you're going to lose it one way or another. So so I don't know if you guys have anything else, but if not, I have a closing question that I think would be pretty fun, like kind of a lightning round thing. So 
you get two things. It can it can be any gear you want, horns, mouthpiece, whatever. Any two. No price limit. What are the two pieces of gear you most want to play or own? And the prices does not matter. I'll start if you guys want to think. So, I really want to try and possibly own a the new the second generation of the Bobby shoe, so the 8310Z2. I really want to try it. I've heard a lot of great things. I know someone that has one now. I know a couple people that have one and they say it's great any of the issues that they might have had with the one prior to that the 8310 just 8310Z are gone with this version. I want to try it so bad. But it wouldn't matter. I don't want to try it because I don't have the money to get it. And I know if I liked it, I would want it. <laughs> so I'm not even going to go down that road. And I think the other one I would want to try is... And I don't care. I guess I don't have a preference on which one. But we all see these some of these giant horns that come out nowadays. Like some of the big Monets or some of the big Harrelsons. I guess I'll pick Harrelson because I live near it. I want to try one of those. I personally don't know if I would if I would like it or if it would work well with me but they're just so different than a standard horn I just want to try them just want to try one so those are my two I if I had a choice the two it would be the Monet trumpets one of those and also the AR resonance oh those that was trumpets. good ones I should have picked that one <laughs> <laughs> but I heard the instruments are phenomenal and you just see people playing them all the time and they're just killing it. So those would be my top picks. I mean, of course the old school con constellations or the, uh, uh, the Martin committees, those are also very, very enticing, but I would say for new horns, those, these ones right here. I don't actually have anything specific to say. I mean, in a perfect world, I think I'd want to own one of everything. Just being able to pick up a Shires and play in a section that are all using Shires would be awesome or, you know, whatever. But if I had to limit it to two, you know, there's obviously needs that I have. And one of which is I definitely need for my future a rotary trumpet and I don't currently have one. And so I would like that. I don't know enough about brands at this time to give a, an answer to what brand I would go with because I haven't tried enough. And then, man, this list could be so long. <laughs> I do have the, the three-hole natural trumpet, Baroque trumpet, but I would actually like to own a, a natural trumpet without the holes. And those those are run like, you know, 5,000 plus for a good one. I would just like five thousand dollars. Yeah, can I? Can we just? Can we just take the money value? In that case, I'm picking all bonnet. <laughs> well, the horn that I want is the Colicchio 3S39. That's the Freddie Hubbard model. It's what Freddie played through his whole career uh, when he switched from Martin Committee. And I actually saw his horn, and it's. Uh, when the Calicchio plant was in Tulsa and it's pretty cool. Uh, and then the other horn that I would want is I would like a C companion to my Gaunter rotary trumpet. I forget about rotaries. I would like one too. I'm with Ben. One of everything would be nice. 
one of everything. Seriously though, that would be so cool to just be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play Yamaha today. I'm going to play Shires today. Just go pick one up and play with a group of people on that, on that horn. Cool. Well, if anyone has any questions or if they want to tell us their gear, definitely interested in that. I'm sure we forgot a lot and didn't mention a lot of brands and all sorts of stuff. So if you want to send us a message, send us an email to ourtrumpetlife at gmail.com or hit us up on all of the social media websites.